Albuquerque's macro aggression. Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk. Friday afternoon, I'm Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk, on AM 1600, rockoftalk.com, 550-5500, Roku TV, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV, podcasting on Citrus, SoundCloud, and Spotify, maybe, maybe, we got to check on that, we want to go to uh, make sure that you are subscribing directly at rockoftalk.chat, and don't forget Roku TV, Amazon Fire and Apple TV, but you can go to rockoftalk.tv, rockoftalk.com. Hour one, Friday fun with uh, DDAO3000. Uh, you, me, and uh, a whole lot of explanation. We're going to take the time because we had a, an important question that came up at the end of, I think, the show, pretty, pretty close to the end of the show, where a guy was challenging me based upon my prognostications. And so you have to understand I'm kind of crazy. Things bother me. And then I don't like let up. So unfortunately, uh, generally speaking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little personal here, uh, D. Dunn Muska. How are you, D? Uh, you own the station and this is your show, sir. I think you can do whatever you want. <laughs> okay. So, all right, so I, I did uh, take in a little bit of extra time, but I was bothered because, you know, I, you know, Dowd's always challenging me, listeners challenging me. And then we're in the second you know, day of ostensibly. And I want to say that like bold outline, double parentheses, ostensibly seems like things are getting worse. The ghost of Kiev is coming to take out the Russians and we've got all this other, like you're watching, oh, you know, uh, husbands are leaving their wives and we're trying to defend the Ukraine. Like, okay, way too much emotional manipulation. I get it. I get it. You know, Fathers kissing daughters and sons, and oh, we're so sad. And oh, I can't. Okay, I don't buy into any of the propaganda. I, I've watched Apocalypse Now maybe one too many times. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. You know, I've I've seen just too much of the crap that's kind of gone. I do love, I do love me some Apocalypse Now, Dowd Muska. Hey, you know, never get out of the boat unless you're going all the way. All right. So I went deep. I went a deep dive. I don't normally do this, but you know, I felt challenged. The guy's like, "Oh, how do you stand now? Where do you, what do you stand now on your prognostications and what you've said and the way it is?" And I'm like, uh, "Okay, you want to challenge me? We're, we're going to take a, a different approach." And and I had to like look at this stuff and say to myself, "Okay, why do I think the way that I think?" And there's a way that I think, and I I, I do need to contend with that. I do need to challenge that and make sure that okay, you know, you know check this, look at that, make sure I'm, I'm good to go. And I do know a little, I did take, uh, what was it? Uh, Russian 320 or uh, political science 320, the history of Russia. I looked at the capitalization of Russia, you know, the, the privatization of Russia as they attempted to try and uh, like these guys had no idea, the total uh, moronic idiots. You put dollars in their hand, you start printing money. It's like, oh, capitalism, we lost. And uh, we're going to start uh, just going. Like, they didn't know what to do. Oh, no. This was like 95, 96, 97. It was like, uh, yep. borscht, we're not drinking borscht. Uh, uh, we're eating borscht or drinking vodka. And, and, and I remember my professor Gleason spent a lot of time in Russia at the time. 
And I learned a lot about Russian culture. And these people, as tied as Hispanics are to their culture, is as tied, if not more so, than the Russians are to their culture. The past is alive to those people. In, in America, really we is. forget everything immediately, but in other parts of the world, not so much. So what happens in the news cycle, uh, thank you, Dowd, that's a, a brilliant clarification, is Biden is like stepping through all this and thinking that, oh, okay, well, we're going to take the political opportunity here. We're going to talk about democracy. Yes, everything's democracy. Democracy, de yeah, 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 okay, yeah, right. Everything in the name of democracy. Yeah, we don't practice democracy. All you had to do was look at the 2020 election and realize, hey, we actually don't practice democracy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no democracy in um, in the United States. Problematic, yes. But yet we're saying, oh, you know, a threat to democracy anywhere is a threat to democracy everywhere. Oh, okay. I guess we have to listen to this crap. I don't. I see Putin as brilliant. I see as Putin not a madman. I see Putin as a rational actor. I see Putin as someone who's dealing with an economy that's suffering under, I don't know, nine and a half, ten percent interest rates. And I see uh, Putin as not having a whole lot of, uh, I don't know, manufacturing. And like uh, Biden comes in, he's like, oh, we're going to go ahead and shut everything down. We're going to punish you for generations. We're going to punish you uh, for uh, it's just all beating your chest. It's, it's, it's unnecessary. Putin's not about to drop the bomb. He's not about to go to th thermonuclear. He's not about to, you know, you know, make the world end. But people on Wall Street know this, and they're a little bit more adept at verse. They, they probably date Russian models. They probably have imported, I don't know, <laughs> Russian wives at this point. Yeah, like, yeah, Putin's not going to do anything. Don't worry. We're, we're good. We're standard vodka and uh, borscht, and uh, yeah, I'll go this far. And that's about as far as it's going to go, and there's a reason why. And so I thought instead of me sort of lecturing you as if I had all the answers, because I don't, but I do trust my gut. And I do realize that there is a lot of good information out there and you can pour through it. I, I took the time last night to sort of do the deep dive. And, you know, I found a professor from the University of Chicago who understood what happened with the Crimea back in 2014 and then understands or almost pretends what's going to end up happening in the future, and here we are, February 22nd, 2022, yes. To, to, to Tuesday, yet we drop bombs on, on Kiev and the uh, rest of Ukraine, uh, to, to, to Tuesday. Yes, folks. The date is a seminal date, believe it or not. So I'm going to put this on rockoftalk.tv. I'm going to take the time to actually go through this. I apologize ahead of time for taking the time to pour you through sort of academia. But I don't think that MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, the rest of this crap media that's out there is going to be able to give you the advanced understanding and knowledge of something called uh, uh, what's a Ukraine? I'd never heard of Ukraine before. I'd not, what, what is that? Is that, uh, oh, is that uh, something that uh, leverages steel up into mighty high? Oh, that's a crane. No, Ukraine. Let's, let's take a step back together, ladies and gentlemen. Let's take a step back together. Let's learn a little bit about the Ukraine. Let's understand things. Uh, sort of like the difference between the South Valley and the Northeast Heights. Hey, why do those guys keep, uh, what's, what's the difference between Espanola and Salamos? It's all in New Mexico. No. <laughs> Two places couldn't be any more different. I, I had a person in New Mexico one time, Eddie, say to me, 
oh, you're you were from uh, Iowa, right? And I said, no, Connecticut. And she said, oh, Iowa, Connecticut, back east, you know, whatever. <clears throat> if, if most of the people in Connecticut had to live in Iowa, most of them would probably kill themselves. <laughs> Nothing against Iowa. <laughs> And for you right wingers that are interested just in the convoy and oh no more masking like you're way late. We've been handling that last couple of years, you know. Good job, a new American. You know, you you want to tell you the difference between an American trucker and a Canadian trucker? Both are unionized, but the Canadian trucker makes about half as much as an American trucker. Yeah, they don't make that much money, and it's like, oh, the Canadians put their they they. They put their balls out there. They sat out there. They put their balls out there. And the Americans like, oh, yeah, be, 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 uh, we're trucking. Uh, we're tough. It, no, you're not. Way too late. Way too late, American trucker. Canadian truckers uh, were out there playing ice hockey in uh, negative 20-degree uh, weather. You know how much more those Canadian truck, or how much less those Canadian truckers make? Than the American truckers. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll leave that there. All right. All right. So let's uh, do a little uh, what they refer to as education here. I think we need to spend the time because I think it's incumbent upon us uh, to be a little bit more responsible as to what's actually happening in the Ukraine. And sometimes we have to sort of go a little bit, a little bit blackboard in the Kiva and like take the time to find somebody who has spent the time and the energy and the studying, like you literally get like four or five decades of this man's incredible intelligence and experience to understand, whoa, what's really happening here? What is really happening here in the Ukraine? Guess what, folks? This lecture was delivered, believe it or not, eight years ago. That's right, folks. Why is the Ukraine the West's fault? A gentleman by the name of John Mearsheimer, and something that we will post directly at www.rockoftalk.chat. Folks, we're at the edge of our perception. There's so many times that I've gone and I've spoken to you about that. And I've talked to you specifically and explicitly about the fact that we only understand as much as we're, and you couldn't even, 96% of you can't even identify where the Ukraine is on a map. And yet you're sitting here like, oh, the ghost of Kiev, we're going to defend Kiev until the end. It's like, uh, oh, what are we doing? Why are we involved? Why is this something that we're paying attention to? Well, here's uh, John Mearsheimer uh, giving you the other side of the story and maybe something to help you understand why your president is wrong, why NATO is wrong, why the United States is wrong, and why we have trumped up Pardon the pun. This type of conflict and what they're doing it for in an election year. Guess who understands this better than anybody? It is Vladimir Putin. Here it is. John Mearsheimer. Thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. For the next 45 minutes, I'll I'll leave uh, Dowd and I on. We'll jump in uh, where we can, but it's going to be pretty much unnecessary at this point. You're going to learn a lot uh, during this time. You're going to learn a lot about a territory you can't identify, much like Afghanistan. You're going to realize that we are in the wrong, and the West has seen things the wrong way. Even Donald Trump himself is seeing things the wrong way. Take a listen. Thank you. 
Thank you very much for that kind introduction. Thanks all for coming out to hear me talk. Uh, the subject I want to talk about is the causes and consequences of the Ukraine crisis, which of course has been in the news in a really big way since uh, February 2014. And indeed, there was a big story uh, on the civil war in eastern Ukraine in the newspapers this morning. Uh, the outline I'd like to follow is, I'd just like to make a number of preliminary comments to give you some background on this crisis. Then I'd like to give you my thinking on what caused the crisis. Uh, then tell you why I think the conventional wisdom is wrong. Talk a little bit about the West's response so far to the crisis, which is just, in my opinion, making a bad situation worse. And tell you what I think should be done and then finally wrap up with some discussion of the consequences. Uh, so let me start with some preliminary comments. First, with regard to America's core strategic interests. For me, core strategic interests are areas of the world where you're willing to fight and die. Uh, and in my opinion, outside of the Western Hemisphere, which is of enormous strategic importance to us, there are only three areas of the world that really, really matter. One is Europe two is Northeast Asia, and three is the Persian Gulf. And it's very important to understand that since this country got its independence in 1783, Europe has been the most important area of the world. Uh, even though the Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor, we had a Europe first policy going into the war, and we had a Europe first policy throughout the war. And it's in large part because the great powers in Europe are more important than the great powers in Northeast Asia over time. Of course, the Persian Gulf was an important area because that's where the oil is, and oil is a critical resource that matters greatly uh, in the international system. So those are the three most important areas outside the Western Hemisphere. And again, since the beginning of this country, Europe has been number one. You want to understand that we're undergoing a fundamental shift, shift of great importance. Asia, because of the rise of China, is going to be the most important area of the world for the United States. The Persian Gulf, because it's inextricably linked with Asia, oil flowing to India, oil flowing to China, the Persian Gulf will be number two. And Europe will be a distant three. We're basically leaving Europe in the rearview mirror. Uh, and of course, you want to keep this in mind because the Ukraine crisis is in Europe and it involves NATO. Just how to think about the geography of Europe. This is a simple, if not simplistic, way of thinking about it. But here's a map. Uh, you can see where Ukraine is. You can see where Poland is. You can see where Russia is. The way I think about European security is there's France, Germany, Poland, Ukraine, and Russia. Of course, we're moving from west to east. These are the big kahunes. These are the big countries that matter. And of course, the two countries that matter the most historically are Germany and Russia, or for most of the 20th century, Germany and the Soviet Union. And I put them in red because as you well know, both Germany and the Soviet Union fought bitter wars in Poland, in Ukraine, and we could add in Belarus as well, if need be. But as we go along here, you wanna keep in mind that Ukraine is right next to Russia, and Poland is right next to Ukraine. 
And then out further west is Germany and France. Take this a step further. This is the ethnic breakdown of Ukraine. I'm going to show you a number of maps, all of which are designed to show you that Ukraine is a badly divided country. And what's taking place inside Ukraine today is in good part a civil war. And to that extent, it doesn't have that much to do with what the Russians or the West uh, are doing there. Uh, and as you can see in red uh, are mostly Ukrainian speaking people. And then as you move further east, you're talking about uh, lots of Russians and certainly lots of Russian speakers. Uh, this is the Ukraine election of 2004. This is the election in the wake of the famous Orange Revolution, which I'll talk more about. Uh, as you can see, the country is badly divided uh, between the East and the West, the Russian speakers in the East and Ukrainian speakers in the West. This is the 2010 election, which resulted in Yanukovych getting elected. I'll talk about President Yanukovych as we go along. He was elected in 2010. And you can see there uh, the voting patterns in the 2010 election look a lot like the voting patterns in the 2004 election. And then these are two recent surveys that came out uh, from the International Republican Institute that's here in the United States. Uh, this one says, if Ukraine could enter only one international economic union, which of the following should it be? And of course, the blue is the EU, uh, and the light blue uh, is the customs union, or actually the red is the customs union of Russia, Belarus, and Kazakhstan. Um, and the cities up at the top are in Western Ukraine, and the cities down on the bottom are in eastern Ukraine. So you can see very clearly that people in the west would like to join the EU. People in the east have little interest in joining the EU. Those are the EU numbers. Here are the NATO numbers. I mean, these two charts look virtually the same. But all of this tells you that you have a badly divided country. And the conflict between the west and Russia over Ukraine is played out in the context of this situation. This is a simple little view graph that shows Europe's dependent on Russian gas. It's quite clear from that view graph that many of the countries in Eastern Europe uh, and even countries like Germany are heavily dependent on Russian natural gas. And of course, that gives the Russians lots of political leverage in this crisis, and it makes it very difficult for us uh, to put pressure on the Russians. Okay, those are just a number of preliminary comments I wanted to throw out just to set this up. Let's talk about the causes of the conflict. I think if you're going to talk about the causes of the conflict, you have to come at it from three different perspectives. First of all, you have to ask, what are the deep causes of the crisis? What are the structural factors that underpin this conflict? Then you have to talk about the precipitating causes because the crisis broke out on February 22nd, 2014. Things were not terrible until February 22nd, 2014. And that's when everything went to hell in a handbasket. And the question is, what caused it then? 
If you focus on deep causes, it can't tell you why something happened in February 2014, but the precipitating causes are designed to get it back. And then what we want to talk about is the Russian reaction, why the Russians did what they did with regard to Crimea, with regard to Eastern Ukraine. We want to talk about exactly what they did and then why they did it. So let's start with the deep causes. My argument is that the West is principally responsible for this mess, not the Russians. Uh, this, of course, is not the conventional wisdom in the United States. And in fact, except for Steve Cohen, who's now at Princeton, I mean, now at NYU, he used to be at Princeton, Henry Kissinger, and maybe a handful of other people, uh, there are not many people who agree with me. But uh, I, I think the facts are quite clear on this, that the West is responsible. And my aim is that the main deep causes, the aim of the United States and its European allies to peel Ukraine away from Russia's orbit and incorporate it into the West. Our basic goal has been to make Ukraine a Western bulwark on Russia's border. And Russia says, this ain't happening, period, end of story. And we will do everything we can to make sure it does not happen. That's the deep cause. Now, take it a step further. There are three key elements in our strategy. The first is NATO expansion and in many ways the most important. And I'll talk in some detail about that in a second. But as you all know, since the Cold War ended, starting with the Clinton administration, we have been moving NATO eastward toward Russia's border. And the Russians have said, this is an absolute no-no. And I'll walk you through the story in a minute. Second is EU expansion. EU expansion is all about integrating Ukraine economically into the West, the way we are in the process of integrating Poland, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, the Baltic states into the West. And of course, we're doing that with NATO as well. These are two sets of institutions, NATO, military institution, the EU, an economic institution. And the idea, again, is to take Ukraine, peel it away from Russia, make it part of the West. The third part of the story is fostering an orange revolution. This is all about promoting democracy in Ukraine and in other places. As you all know, the United States runs around the world trying to topple regimes and put in their place democratically elected regimes. And for almost all of you, me included, it's hard to be against promoting democracy. We all love democracy. But if you're Vladimir Putin uh, or if you're part of the leadership in Beijing. When the United States talks about democracy promotion, that means toppling your regime. And you won't be surprised to hear this. They don't like that in Beijing, and they don't like that in Moscow. Right? They do not like that. Right? The Chinese believe that we're behind the protests in Hong Kong. You go to Beijing, and you talk to Chinese elites, the idea that we're promoting democracy around the world, and especially in East Asia, just drives them crazy because they think they're in the crosshairs. And you know what? They are in the crosshairs because our basic strategy is to topple regimes all over the world, not simply because we like democracy, but because we believe that whoever gets elected will be pro-Western. So we're killing two birds with one stone. 
who are promoting democracy and getting leaders who are pro-American. But again, you can see the strategy here, NATO expansion, EU expansion, and promoting democracy. Say a bit more about NATO expansion because it's so important. Uh, NATO expansion took place in two tranches. The first one was in 1999. That's when you get Poland, the Czech Republic, and Hungary incorporated into NATO. The second big tranche was in 2004. And that's when the Baltic states, you can see Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania up top, Romania, Bulgaria, these are the light brown countries. That's the second tranche of NATO expansion. Now, the Soviets made it clear from the mid-1990s they were adamantly opposed to NATO expansion. But number one, they were too weak to do anything about it. And two, it didn't involve the states that were right on their border. I mean, there's no question, as you can see from the map, that Latvia and Estonia are on Russia's border, and Lithuania uh, as well, if you want to include that little enclave between Poland and Lithuania. But, but the fact is these were very small states. It was early in the game, and the Russians were willing to live with it. But then the big trouble starts. And it comes in the famous Bucharest summit, uh, NATO's Bucharest summer in, summit in April 2008, where at the end of the summit, uh, a declaration is issued which says, NATO welcomes Ukraine's and Georgia's Euro-Atlantic aspirations for membership in NATO. We agreed today that these countries will become members of NATO. So, excuse me, the Soviets, the Russians made this perfectly clear. This was unacceptable. Russia's deputy foreign minister said, Georgia's and Ukraine's membership in the alliance is a huge strategic mistake, which will have most serious consequences for pan-European security. Putin himself said, Georgia and Ukraine becoming part of NATO is a direct threat to Russia. You all remember that there was a war between Russia and Georgia in August 2008. That war was a consequence of this because the Georgians thought we were sending them a signal that they could get uppity with the Russians and we would back them because they were going to become part of NATO. That's not what happened. And you know what happened. The Russians clobbered the Georgians, and Georgia is in deep trouble today because it thought it, it could become part of NATO. So you want to remember that April 2008 summit, very important. That declaration, very important. And then what happens is you have a war. So those are the deep causes, those three strategies. NATO expansion, EU expansion, and promoting democracy. What about the precipitating cause? The key events leading up to the coup. It's the coup of February 22nd, 2014, that's of enormous importance. That's what really throws the crisis into gear. Just think about that word, coup. Orange Revolution, promoting democracy. The coup, February 22nd, 2014. So the question is, what causes the coup? It all starts in November of 2013. At that point, 
Yanukovych, President Yanukovych, who's the head of Ukraine, is negotiating with, e, with the EU to form an association agreement that brings the EU and Ukraine much closer together. It's a step in the direction of incorporating Ukraine into the European Union, or to put it in slightly different terms, incorporating Ukraine into the West. The Russians make it clear that this is unacceptable. Russians are willing to do a deal that involves the EU, Russia, the IMF, and Ukraine. But the idea that Ukraine is going to do a deal exclusively with the EU and the Russians are going to be left out in the cold is not something that Putin is willing to countenance. He puts significant pressure on the Ukrainians. He offers them a terrific deal. And as you can imagine, the EU is not offering Ukraine a particularly good deal because you know how much corruption there is in Ukraine. And the EU wants Ukraine to eliminate that corruption, which the Ukrainians really don't want to do. So what Putin does is not only make it clear that that deal is not going to happen, but he often offers a sweetheart deal of his own. So Yanukovych on November 21st says no to the EU. This leads to a series of protests. The Ukrainian government, truth be told, uh, under Yanukovych overreacts to the protests, which causes them to spiral out of control. And in January of 2014, you can see there January 22nd, 2014, you have your first two deaths in the protests. These are the Maidan protests. And then in the February 18th through February 20th time period, lots of people die. It's really messy. And what happens is that a number of European foreign ministers, the German foreign minister, French foreign minister, they fly to Kiev and a deal is worked out uh, to have elections that will in effect remove Yanukovych from power. Uh, but the protesters refuse to accept the deal. And there are significant fascist elements among the protesters who were armed, right? There's killing on the Maidan. And as a result, Yanukovych flees for his life to Russia. And this all happens on February 22nd. And, oh, did I not have that slide on? I'm sorry. <laughs> One of the problems with this lectern is you can't see. I'm sorry, there is, that's the slide that has all the key events. Oh gosh, sorry. I have two slides up here, so I lost track of the fact. So here are the key events after the coup. On February 23rd, parliament votes to repeal minority language laws in the East. This is basically the Russian language. Uh, and then on February 27th, Russian units begin seizing checkpoints in the Crimea. On the 28th, additional Russian forces begin moving into the Crimea. The Russians didn't conquer or invade Crimea. Actually, the Russians didn't invade Crimea. They were already there because they had a leasing agreement. There's a naval base at Sevastopol, and the Russians were leasing that naval base from Ukraine. So they had military forces there. So when it says Russian units begin seizing checkpoints on the 27th, those were Russian units that were already there. Then additional Russian forces begin moving in on the 28th. 
And then on the 6th, the 16th, and the 18th, you have a scenario, you have a handful of events that lead to Russia incorporating Crimea. And then, of course, shortly after that, conflict breaks out in eastern Ukraine. And although we do not have a lot of hard evidence that the Russians are physically involved in eastern Ukraine, I think it's quite clear that they are physically involved, that there are Russian troops there. How many is very hard to tell from the outside. Uh, and uh, I think it's very clear that the Russian government is going to great lengths to make sure that those pro-Russian forces in eastern Ukraine are interest, are, are capable uh, of uh, maintaining uh, a certain amount of independence. And I'll talk more about this in a second. Okay, understanding the Russian response. What is the Russian response? Two parts. First is they took Crimea and they're not giving it back. Crimea is gone. Second is what they're doing is not trying to conquer Ukraine. There are many people who say the Russians are going to go on a rampage, they're going to try and reestablish the Soviet Union or a greater Russia, uh, and so forth and so on. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, Putin is much too smart for that. You remember what happened when the Russians invaded Afghanistan? You remember what happened when we invaded Afghanistan? You remember what happened when we invaded, invaded Iraq? You remember what happened when the Israelis invaded southern Lebanon? You want to stay out of these places. In fact, if you really want to wreck Russia, what you should do is encourage it to try and conquer Ukraine. Putin, again, is much too smart to do that. What Putin is doing is he's basically in the process of wrecking Ukraine, and he's telling the West in very simple terms, you have two choices. You either back off, right, and we go back to the status quo ante before February 22nd, 2014, where Ukraine is a buffer state, or you continue to play these games where you try and take Ukraine and make it a Western bastion on our doorstep, in which case we'll wreck the country. And they are, of course, now in the process of wrecking it, right? And they're going to keep this conflict going for as long as they have to. That's the basic game here. Again, two steps. One, took Crimea. No way they're going to ever let Crimea become a NATO base. And remember, the name of the game here is to make Ukraine part of NATO. Not happening and they're not getting Crimea. We've taken Crimea, we're keeping it, number one. And number two, you want a frozen conflict or you want to wreck Ukraine so that it can't become part of the West. Question number two here is what motivates this? What motivates this is that Russia is a great power and it has absolutely no interest in allowing the United States and its allies to take a big piece of real estate of great strategic importance on its western border and incorporate it into the West. This should be hardly surprising to the United States of America. As all of you know, we have a Monroe Doctrine. The Monroe Doctrine basically says that the Western Hemisphere is our backyard and nobody from a distant region is allowed to move military forces into the Western Hemisphere. I can tell from looking at the audience that most of you are old enough to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis like I am. You remember how we went stark raving crazy at the idea of the Soviets putting military forces in Cuba? This is unacceptable. Nobody puts military forces in the Western Hemisphere. That's what the Monroe Doctrine is all about. Can you imagine 20 years from now a powerful China forming a military alliance with Canada and Mexico and moving Chinese military forces onto Canadian? 
and Mexican soil, and us just standing there and saying, this is no problem. We're all 20th, 21st century people and worrying about Chinese forces there is what 19th century people like Vladimir Putin worry about. Of course, that's not going to happen. We're going to maintain the Monroe Doctrine with regard to China just as we did with the Soviet Union during the Cold War. So nobody should be surprised that the Russians were apoplectic about the idea of us putting Ukraine on the western side of the ledger. And by the way, they told us, I gave you the quotes, in the wake of the Bucharest summit. I told you what happened in August 2008 with the Georgia war. The precedents were there. The rhetoric was there. They told us. But we did not stop our efforts to make Ukraine part of the West. And the Russians responded. Was it surprising? For some reason, President Obama and virtually all of the elites in the West were surprised. I guess this is because they're 21st century people, right? And they think that balance of power politics doesn't matter anymore. If you think these people in Washington and most Americans are having trouble dealing with the Russians, you, you can't believe how much trouble we're going to have with the Chinese. I'm very popular in China. I go to China quite often. Uh, and I usually start my talks by saying, it's good to be back among my people. Because when I'm in China, I'm intellectually much more at home there than I am in Washington. Because in Beijing, much like in Moscow, you're dealing with 19th century people like me. Whereas in Washington, you're dealing with 21st century people. I think the Chinese are going to eat our lunch. talk about the conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom is that Putin is the main cause of the crisis. Some say he's either crazy or irrational. Angela Merkel was making this argument for a while. He's bent on creating a greater Russia, and he bears marked resemblance to Adolf Hitler. Say a few words about each of these. Uh, I know a great deal about Adolf Hitler. I've written and I teach extensively on uh, uh, Nazi Germany's behavior in the 30s and during World War II. The idea that he bears any resemblance to Adolf Hitler is laughable in the extreme. It's hard to believe that serious people make that argument. Uh, the idea that he's bent on creating a greater Russia, I think if he could do it, he'd do it. He can't do it. Uh, Russia's a declining great power. And as I said to you before, if they were to try and create a greater Russia by invading Ukraine and by invading the Baltic states, they'd be jumping into the briar patch. In fact, again, if you want to wreck Russia, what you should do is tell them to try and create a greater Russia. Uh, it will lead to no end of trouble. I think Putin is much too smart for that, and he is in the process of wrecking Ukraine. I want to make that clear. And he's wrecking Ukraine because he's basically saying to the West, you can't have it, and I'll wreck it before you take it. Is he crazy or irrational? I don't think so. Uh, I think he's very strategic, uh, and I don't think he's the main cause of the crisis, as I said to you. Another set of arguments associated with the conventional wisdom. This is that the United States is a benign hegemon seeking to promote European stability, seeking to promote stability in Asia all over the globe, and so forth and so on. There's some countries like Japan and Germany, for sure, Poland, who view the United States as a benign hegemon. There are many countries out there who do not 
Iran is one, China is another, and Russia is a third. They just don't see it that way. And because they don't see it that way, you should understand that when you take measures, you meaning the United States, that you think are going to be interpreted as benign, the other side will not see them that way. They will see them as threatening. Let's get back to my point about democracy promotion. We believe democracy promotion is an unalloyed good. We can't understand why people like Putin and the leaders in Beijing don't understand this, but they don't understand it. And if you don't recognize what other people think, uh, you're incapable of putting yourself in their shoes, you're gonna get yourself into a heck of a lot of trouble. Uh, and of course, that's exactly what happened here. Uh, and then another argument is that Putin's behavior proves that it was wise to expand NATO eastward to try to include Ukraine and Georgia, right? What's very interesting is that there is no evidence that we thought Putin was aggressive before the crisis. There's no evidence that we thought that. There's no evidence that we were talking about expanding NATO because we had to contain the Russians. Because again, NATO expansion was driven by 21st century men and women. They believe balance of power politics is dead. That's what happened here. Do you understand? Putin is a 19th century man, right? He does view the world in, balance of power in terms of balance of power politics, as do we when it comes to the Monroe Doctrine in the Western Hemisphere. But in this case, in the case of Europe, we were thinking like 21st century men and women. And we thought that we could just drive right up to his doorstep and it wouldn't matter. Right? We did not think that Russia was aggressive. What happened here is that after the crisis broke out on February 22nd, we then decided that Russia was aggressive. We then decided that Russia was bent on creating a greater Russia. It was after the fact. And by the way, this is why President Obama and virtually all of Washington was caught with their pants down when this crisis broke out after February 22nd, because they did not see it coming. Talk a little bit about our response. We're basically doubling down. Uh, we're getting tougher and tougher with the Russians. That's our strategy. Uh, and that's exactly what you'd expect if you're going to blame them, given that we're incapable of blaming ourselves because we never do anything wrong. You all know that. All the problems in the world are caused by everybody else, never by the United States, because we're a benign hegemon. Well, if we're the good guys and they're the bad guys and they're misbehaving, they're bent on creating a greater Russia, oh my God, this is the 1930s all over again. Any sort of concession to Putin is Munich, October 1938. Can't do that. So what you do is you double down. You get tougher and tougher. Uh, then this brings us to the question of whether we can succeed or not. My argument is you're playing a losing hand. Right? And the reason you're playing a losing hand is because this is a competition between economic considerations and security considerations. The basic mindset of people in the West is that you can punish the Russians economically and they'll throw their hands up. My argument is when security considerations are at stake, when core strategic interests are at stake, and there's no question, ladies and gentlemen, in Russia's case, this is a core strategic interest, countries will suffer enormously before they throw their hands up. So you can inflict a lot of pain on the Russians, and they're not going to quit. And they're not going to quit because Ukraine matters to them. And by the way, Ukraine doesn't matter to us. 
You understand there's nobody calling for us to fight in Ukraine. Even John McCain, who up until recently has never seen a war he didn't want to fight, okay, is not calling for using military force in Ukraine. What John McCain is saying is, not, is that Ukraine is not a vital strategic interest for the West. That's what he's saying. It is a vital strategic interest for the Russians. They've made that perfectly clear, and not just Putin. right? So in terms of the balance of resolve, it's all on their side. And I showed you that slide up there that depicted how much economic leverage the Russians have because of all that natural gas going westward. So we're playing a losing hand here. But let's assume that I'm wrong. Let's assume that we're playing a winning hand and that we are capable of backing Putin into a corner. And we're getting close to pushing him off a cliff. Is this good? You're talking about a country that's got thousands of nuclear weapons. And the only circumstance, really, under which states use nuclear weapons is when they're desperate, when they think their survival is at stake. So what you're talking about is putting Putin in a situation where he's desperate. And if you go home and Google Putin and nuclear brinksmanship, you'll be reading all the articles that come up for the next two years, right? Because he's making it clear that you're fooling around with his core strategic interests. And again, he's got thousands of nuclear weapons. So you're putting yourself in a position, right? you're putting yourself in a position where you're willing to risk a possible nuclear war over a piece of real estate, Ukraine, that is, a, that is not of vital strategic interest to the United States. Again, it's not of vital strategic interest to us. By the way, and this will be my final point on this, what's truly amazing about all of this is that we were talking about incorporating Ukraine into NATO when we have now acknowledged by not taking military action over Ukraine that it's not a vital strategic interest. You understand that when you incorporate Ukraine into NATO, you're giving them an Article 5 guarantee, which says you'll come to their defense if they're attacked. You only give Article 5 guarantees to countries that are of vital strategic interest, like Germany during the Cold War. What were we doing giving an Article 5, thinking about giving an Article 5 guarantee to a country it's not a vital strategic interest. It just shows you how discombobulated American foreign policy is these days. And of course, the Ukraine crisis is just one of many messes that we've made. As you know, we have the Midas touch in reverse. There's nothing that we do that doesn't go south. Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Ukraine, I could go on. So the point I'm making to you is, I do not think that this is gonna work, but if it does work, I'm not sure it's a good thing. Uh, I had some quotes from the New York Times that really capture what we're doing. I won't leave them up there, but they make it very clear that we're playing hardball with the Russians. This was the Times piece last year that gave a good synoptic version of the Obama administration's thinking on how to deal with this crisis. Now, what should be done? My view is we should create a neutral Ukraine, which is a buffer state between NATO and Russia. Basically, what I'm talking about is going back to the status quo ante before we got this foolish idea in our head 
that we could peel Ukraine away from Russia and make it part of NATO, make it part of the EU, make it more generally part of the West. We should work to create a situation where Ukraine is neutral and it's a buffer state. Just to go back to my simple or simplistic graphic, depending on your views, right? This is how I think about European security. This is what you want. You want NATO to include France, Germany, and Poland. You want Ukraine as a buffer state, and then you want Russia on the eastern flank of that border state. And this is not what you want. You do not want a divided Ukraine where Western Ukraine is in NATO, Eastern Ukraine is in Russia, and the Russians and the Americans who hate each other at that point are eyeball to eyeball uh, on the Dnieper River. Not a good idea. How do you get to this end? Very simple, explicitly abandon NATO expansion. By the way, NATO expansion is dead. I've talked to countless policymakers who say this, it's dead. But what we have to do is explicitly abandon it, say it is not happening. We have to fashion an economic rescue plan for Ukraine that includes Russia, the IMF, and the EU. This of course is what Putin wanted to do in 2013, and the EU said no, foolishly. We want to go to great lengths to guarantee minority rights, especially language rights in Ukraine. This gets back to those maps that I was putting up that show that this is in very important ways a civil war. And what we have to do is dampen down the conflict inside Ukraine. We have to give the people in eastern Ukraine a lot of autonomy, and we definitely have to protect minority rights. Uh, are we going to do any of this? No. And uh, I'll talk more about that in a second. Consequences, and this is my last slide. Will there be a new Cold War? No. Russia is not the Soviet Union, and as I said to you before, we have a potential peer competitor on the horizon who could be of proportions we've never seen before. The Chinese threat, once it materializes, is gonna be something like we've never seen. We're gonna have our hands full in Asia. Europe is not gonna matter, and Russia is gonna be with us. The balancing coalition against China is going to be South Korea, Japan, Vietnam, uh, Taiwan, Singapore, India, and Russia. The Russians will be with us. And that's another reason this whole policy is so stupid, right? What we're effectively doing is driving the Russians into the arms of the Chinese. There's a great strategy. We need the Russians on Iran. We need the Russians on Iran. We drive the Russians closer to the Iranians. You saw where they just sold the Iranians S-300 anti-aircraft missiles. We need the Russians on Syria. We need the Russians on all sorts of issues. We don't need to have a fight with the Russians now. We don't, we're not going to have a Cold War. Will the United States still pivot to Asia? Yes. All we need is one big crisis out there. It's coming, probably in the South China Sea, sooner rather than later, if you've been reading the newspapers. Uh, and once that happens, we will focus laser-like uh, on Asia, because that's a peer competitor. Russia is not a peer competitor. What are the implications for NATO? This gets back to the previous question. I, I think that NATO is uh, in serious trouble and will disappear as a functioning alliance over time in large part because I think we're going to pivot to Asia. Um, what are the implications of all this for our Asian allies? It's a very interesting question. Uh, I was in Japan in the 
December of 2014. And the Japanese, like a lot of people in Asia, number one, wonder whether we're going to be there for them, right? Because they see us causing trouble over Ukraine. They see us picking a fight with ISIS. And they say, if the United States is fighting ISIS, dealing with the Russians over Ukraine, are they going to be able to pivot to Asia? And then furthermore, they say, even if the United States does pivot, can we trust them? If you look at how this gang operates in Washington, it does look like the gang that can't shoot straight. Do we want to depend on them? If you're Japanese and you're depending on the American security umbrella, especially the American nuclear umbrella, don't you scratch your head and say, can I rely on Washington in a crunch with the Chinese over the Senkaku or Diao Islands? Not clear. So I think this has not been good for our relations with our Asian allies. What are the implications for Iran and Syria? As I said before, remains to be seen. Uh, we need the Russians on Iran. We need the Russians on Syria. And uh, you take a stick and you poke the Russians in, your, in the eye and you continue to poke them in the eye. They're going to look for ways to retaliate. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere down the road they don't play ball with us on Iran. We don't get a deal with the Iranians. Be interesting to see what the Russians then do. See if they're interested in maintaining the sanctions regime. Uh, and Syria is a total mess, as you know. And if there's any hope of resolving that, the Russians are going to have to be involved. And again, it's going to be hard to get a lot of cooperation, given what's going on over Ukraine. Is Crimea lost to Russia for good? Uh, yep, it's gone. Gone. What are the implications for Ukraine? This is in many ways the most important part of my talk, and I'll just take two or three minutes, then we can go to Q&A. When I give this talk, many people in the West think that there's sort of a deep-seated immoral dimension to my position because I'm blaming the West and not Putin, who certainly has authoritarian or thuggish tendencies. There's no question about that. But I actually think that what's going on here is that the West is leading Ukraine down the primrose path. And the end result is that Ukraine is going to get wrecked. And I believe that the policy that I'm advocating, which is neutralizing Ukraine and then building it up economically and getting it out of the competition between Russia on one side and NATO on the other side, is the best thing that could happen to the Ukrainians. What we're doing is encouraging the Ukrainians to play tough with the Russians. We're encouraging the Ukrainians to think that they will ultimately become part of the West because we will ultimately defeat Putin and we will ultimately get our way. Time is on our side. And of course, the Ukrainians are playing along with this and the Ukrainians are almost completely unwilling to compromise with the Russians and instead want to pursue a hardline policy. Well, as I said to you before, if they do that, the end result is that their country is going to be wrecked. And what we're doing is, in effect, encouraging that outcome. I think it would make much more sense for us to, neutral, to, to work to create a neutral Ukraine. It would be in our interest bury this crisis as quickly as possible. It certainly would be in Russia's interest to do so. And most importantly, it would be in Ukraine's interest to put an end to the crisis. Thank you.
This is The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA Albuquerque. Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson says she's truly humbled to be President Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court. The president keeping his promise to use skin color as the main prerequisite for his Supreme Court nominee. USA Radio News. Fever is a potential sign of COVID or the flu. And the Exergen Temporal Scanner Thermometer has been proven accurate with more than 100 clinical studies. Be vigilant and seek medical advice at the first sign of fever. Be accurate with Exergen. Exergen Temporal Scanners, available at Walmart and other fine retailers. Learn more at exergen.com. That's E-X-E-R-G-E-N.com. Exergen is changing the way the world takes temperature. You've heard us talk about the luxurious Giza Dream sheets for my pillow. Well, now they're on sale, 60% off as low as $39.99. Lots of other overstock items and a free copy of Mike Lindell's book, What Are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO? With any purchase, but you've got to use my promo code USA. Go to mypillow.com, the radio listener square, use my promo code USA or call one 800 951-8175. The CDC is updating the metrics it uses for recommending masks. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky was among those to unveil a new community-level metric system that labels an area's COVID level as low, medium, and high. As the virus continues to circulate in our communities, we must focus our metrics beyond just cases in the community and direct our efforts toward protecting people at high risk for severe illness. The CDC saying masks only need to be worn when a community is in the high level. Immunocompromised are recommended to wear masks in a location where it is in the medium tier. Pope Francis is weighing in on Russia invading Ukraine. AFP, the French private international news agency headquartered in Paris, is reporting Pope Francis made a visit Friday to the Russian embassy in the Holy See, also called the Sea of Rome, to express his concern for the war. The meeting lasted less than an hour. From the West Coast USA Radio News Bureau, I'm Lance Pry. USA Radio News. Hi, I'm Wayne Alaroot. If you like my radio show, you're going to love my podcast, War Raw. Each podcast, I present my top 10 most outrageous, salacious, and controversial stories of the week. I break down the best of the best raw truth stories for conservatives, libertarians, patriots, taxpayers, Trumpers, and deplorables. Anyone who appreciates God, guns, gold, and tax cuts will stand up and cheer for War Raw. Check out this week's War Raw podcast right now. It's available to download on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you listen to podcasts. War Raw. War Raw. The Conservative Political Action Conference, known as CPAC, is continuing in Orlando, Florida. South Dakota Republican Governor Kristi Noem speaking at the convention for the second straight year. She explains how people can make a difference in politics. National politics starts on your street. It starts in your neighborhood. Get involved. Lead. Find the best fighter that you can and have their back in the trenches. That's the beauty of federalism. Remember what we are fighting to conserve. Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis speaking at the convention on Thursday, and former President Donald Trump will make a speech Saturday. Actress Sally Kellerman is dead after a battle with dementia. From the USA Radio News Washington, D.C. Bureau, John Clemens has the details. 
Sally Kellerman, the Oscar-nominated actress known for her role as Margaret Hotlips Houlihan in the film version of MASH, has died at the age of 84. Her manager and publicist confirmed the news, saying Kellerman died of heart failure at her home in Woodland Hills, California. Her son also said that she'd been battling dementia. Kellerman also famously appeared in the 1986 comedy Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield and made regular appearances on The Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Bonanza, Mannix, I Spy, and Columbo. Kellerman is survived by her son. When you suffer a personal injury from a car crash, you need an attorney with integrity. I'm Mark Caruso, Caruso Law Offices. I am very pleased with my car accident case that Caruso Law Offices helped me settle. I hope I never need your services again, but if I do, I'll come back. Thanks. Caruso Law Offices will fight for you. Caruso Law Offices, 883-5000. Your personal injury attorney with integrity, 883-5000. CarusoLaw.com. Hi, I'm Walt Arnold with Sperry Van Ness Commercial Real Estate. When considering your options and locating the right space for your business, call the experts at Sperry Van Ness, 256-1255. That's 256-1255. Or visit us on the web at waltarnold.com. Music is the great communicator on makeusgodlyagain.com. Sometimes we just need a pick-me-up. Makeusgodlyagain.com. Hi, this is Ava, and I love sitting on the Monroe's patio just enjoying some chips and salsa. And I'm Stella. I love the fresh air. And enchiladas and tacos. Hey, Grandpa, what about the fresh air? Ooh, and some red or green chili with a cool beverage. And the fresh air? Oh, Grandpa, this is the best meal. It is delicious. Hey, guys, what about the fresh air? And And what what about about the fresh fresh air? air? We are going to Monroe's in the Heights and downtown. Directions at chili.theplaceilike.com. Straight Line Painting, a family-owned business providing their services for over 10 years. Now, whether you need a home or business painted, garage epoxy floor, or even a complete restucco, Straight Line Painting are the experts. Owners Efren and Josh are always available and oversee every project from estimate to final walkthrough. Call 505-659-0973 for a free estimate and visit StraightLinePaintingABQ.com to see their great reviews. The Rock of Talk is now available on Roku. Just go to search on your Roku device and type in The Rock of Talk. Then download and enjoy. Watch the show live, on demand, get the top 10 news of the day, or watch any of our weekend shows on demand. Albuquerque's Macro Aggression. Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk. I'm Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk, at AM1600KIVABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com, 550-5500. you want to go ahead and uh, text in here on this Friday afternoon and... Uh, Hopefully you got a little bit of an education, some more information, some insight, et cetera, et cetera. We'll check in with the Dow 3000. Don't forget Roku TV, Amazon Fire, Apple TV. Uh, we will, of course, be on Roku TV uh, by way of rockoftalk.tv and rockoftalk.com. Don't forget to subscribe directly at rockoftalk.chat. And uh, third hour coming up uh, next, the Republican convention down in Rio Doso, Noisy Waters. They're going to create a lot of noise uh, down there. We'll have a third hour special uh, for all of that. But I'm very interested to get to D. Dowd Muska's uh, response to all that, which is sort of like the other side of the propagandized media's attempt to 
sort of emotionally manipulate you and get you on board with Kiev, Western Ukraine, saying, oh, NATO, look at all these poor people dying, the ghost of Kiev, oh, you know, husbands giving away their daughters and their wives. Like, it's too much at this point. And remember, the first casualty of any war is, of course, the truth. Eat out Muska, hour two, just for you. How are you? Well, uh, Mr. Aragon, it probably will not oh, surprise you. We, we to, bring out, uh, go ahead, Doug. Uh, uh, it uh, probably uh, will not surprise you, Mr. Aragon, to know that uh, one of Professor Mearsheimer's books is on uh, my wall over there. I just went and grabbed it. Uh, this was a book pertaining to Middle East policy, uh, not so much uh, Eastern uh, European policy. But I don't think it's very rare for me to listen to an hour-long lecture where I don't disagree with a single word. But uh, the professor is, uh, I like his, his description of himself as a 19th century thinker yeah, in, in the 21st century. Right. Um, and, and his utter contempt for Washington's imperialists. And it gets a little more complicated here because broadly speaking, and I'm going to paint with very, very broad brushes sure. here. I, uh, I'm not a foreign policy expert, but foreign policy and defense policy in our country is primarily motive, motivated by domestic concerns uh you don't uh, get self-interest i think to be more proper you don't get to be joe biden and tell everyone all over the world what to do if you're not a united, united states senator anymore so you got to bring home the bacon to delaware and it's true for every other all of their politicians as well so what the professor was talking about is a vision a, a real politique vision of global affairs that is it is where you really strip away wishful thinking and ideology and grandiosity and triumphalism. You actually spend the time to study people abroad, what motivates them, their culture, their religion, the historical identity. It was wonderful last hour when Eddie talked about, uh, you know, the, 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 going back centuries, Russia's dealings with, with the Ukraine and uh, Ukraine or the Ukraine. And in America, of course, nothing, we don't care about anything that happened more than five minutes ago. I mean, we're, we're all about TikTok videos. Most of the rest of the world, uh, what your father, what your grandfather, uh, what your great great grandfather did is real to you. Uh, you know, you, you, the blood and soil, as some people say. Uh, some of the alt right people get a little nutty with that, but uh, the nationalism, uh, religion, culture, language is is historical memory is very very important. So we've been dealing since World War II and then all through the Cold War with. I think an American triumphalism and Stalin of all people recognize this. And I think it's in the book, um, the making of the atomic bomb by Richard Rhodes, which is a book, a lot about New Mexico, <laughs> There's big, big chunks of New Mexico history in that book for obvious reasons. I, I'd recommend it. He won the Pulitzer for it. And I think in history and Stalin couldn't believe that the United States could fight a two front war, arm and equip its allies and build the bomb. I mean, there's nothing the United States couldn't do. And, Coming out of that conflict, uh, we stood astride the world like a colossus, and we funded the Marshall Plan, and we 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 set up, supplied food and ammunition to countries fighting the you know the Red Menace, and of course we we eventually end up winning the Cold War as well, winning this kind of strange war, ideological war, not so much a shooting war outside. I in no way want to disparage the people who suffered in Korea and Vietnam, uh, and a couple other places as well. So. We find ourselves now in the 21st century with people who don't think like the way the professor thinks uh, in terms of reality, getting into the mind of people abroad, getting into the mind of your opponent. We, Broadly speaking, we have two camps. Uh, they're both types of imperialism and they're both, I hate them both equally. The first is sort of left-wing multilateralism. This is Barack Obama. Uh, 
uh, the kind of thing. And I'm glad the professor was talking about the screw-ups of the Obama administration. Yeah, that and, and, and brought that front and center. That was wonderful. Up, uh, -Dowd, uh, about the, uh, you know, what happened. And I think the seminal date uh, becoming 2-2-2014, two, 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 like that should have stood out to people. Yep. Is that why did Putin do what he did on the day that he did? Well, he was literally waiting. Like uh, anybody who could, uh, and, and people who are running countries, who are running companies, they're always about sort of the demarcations uh, by dates or territory or whatever it happens to be, you know, sort of primitive, because they understand that the middle class and the people, the proletariat, they will pay attention to that. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I also got to credit the professor with a sh quick shot at the Obama administration on Libya, which didn't end up being quite a, an Iraq level debacle. But, but we don't we forget too quickly how uh, we should not have been involved in that. And so guys like Obama, Samantha Power, Hillary Clinton, they're left wingers who want to use international law and international organization with this sort of aggressive, aggressive multilateralism, we're going to impose the progressive view on the world. Uh, they're in love with things like non-proliferation regimes when it comes to chemical weapons and nuclear weapons, uh, all sorts of international agreements, the law of the sea, the international criminal court. Uh, their big thing lately, though, in the Latin recent years has been climate change. You know, they're climate change paranoiacs. Uh, this ties into the Great Reset, uh, environmental uh, and energy totalitarianism by people on the left, these sort of Bond villain-esque people who want to control what kind of car you drive, how many gallons of water are in, in a toilet flush in your house. Don't laugh. It, it's, it's for real. So you've got those left-wing aggressive multilateralists. On the other side, you have the neocons. Uh, these are the wonderful people who gave us the Iraq war. Uh, these are the wonderful people who gave us 20 years in Afghanistan. These are people like David Brooks of the New York Times, Bill Crystal, uh, exactly. who used to work for Dan right. Quayle. You know, Bill Crystal used to be very both, mainstream. Both the worst of the worst. The guys they are, who are covering scum. everything in scum. front of like this sort of ideological, oh, everything for America, we're doing the right yes. thing. And, and you, you're confused. Yes. Uh, and frankly, there's a bunch of them in the Republicans in the Senate, like Tom Cotton, who I think is one of the, probably the most dangerous person on earth if he if he has aspirations to be president someday. The, uh, this the youngest is, senator, by the he way. He is younger than I am. That, that makes me feel old. Younger than me. He went to Boys Nation two years after me, D-Doubt. Oh, very well. Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, so, just so you know, from Arkansas. So these are kind of, uh, like Eddie said, kind of American, uh, they want to pax, they want to impose a Pax Americana on the world. Uh, National Review a number of years ago, Eddie, I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. Uh, they had an article in which they said that the United States should put a missile defense system in space and any country that launches an object into space that didn't get permission from Washington, we will shoot down your launch vehicle, even if it's they're launching a space probe. They're launching space tourism from, you know, Sweden or Dubai or somewhere. You have to get American uh, America's permission to put anything in space. That's how deranged these human beings are. And some of them, as I said, are in the Senate. Now, culturally, these people are left wing. They are they live on the, on the coasts. Uh, they're they're pro choice. Uh, they're they're down with uh, wokeness. But uh, they love aggressive, uh, you know, military industrial comp uh, complex stuff. They also worship democracy in a way that Barack Obama and Samantha Power to Power do as well. They want to impose democracy uh, at the point of a gun uh, around the world. And of course, if they if those people vote for rulers they don't like, they can just say, "Oh, there was you know we, that that wasn't a real election. We're, we're going to impose it." Kind of kind of like what happened in uh, Ukraine and in other places as well in, in the Middle East. Um, there's a heavy Likudnik. Christian Zionist dispensationalist element. So what does that mean? Uh, uh, describe that. You're describing a, a ge geographic area. Uh, explain to our listeners. 
Yeah, um, basically, this is the fusion of Christian Zionists who are dispensationalists. They think by recreating the state of Israel and rebuilding the temple, Jesus is going to come back. There may be something like 40 to 60 million dispensationalists in America. It's a huge lobby. When you see the Pat Robertsons of the world going to Israel, giving money to Israel, uh, when you see, uh, who is that? Not uh, Sheldon Adelson, uh, when that oh, well, spy for Israel was deceased, uh, recently head deceased. Of the gaming Sands Corporation. Sands Corporation. Uh, he flew, was it Jonathan Pollard? He flew back to Israel and Jonathan Pollard kisses the ground. This is a fusion of I hate to insult you if you're a dispensationalist, but I think you people are totally insane and I oppose everything you stand for. The fusion of sort of hardcore greater Israel uh, Jewish folks over there in the Middle East with Christian Zionists over here. And frankly, there's far more Christian Zionists uh, than Jewish folks. Jewish folks are a very small part of our population in America. So they're big into the Middle East. Uh, they hate Iran. They think Iran is the greatest uh, enemy you know, to, to, to Israel. Now, on the other hand, they're also big hawks on China and they're big hawks on Russia. So you see, and Tucker Carlson has done an amazing job recently pointing out people in, in the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate make, I think, uh, that Joni Ernst and, and other people say, you know, we're not going to let this stand, you know, or, uh, the invasion of Ukraine. No, we're not going to fight a nuclear war, you moron. I mean, do you, I mean, you can you can talk tough all you want, but for people like Professor Mearsheimer recognize that, you know, international relations are, are more ruled by power than than by principle. It's, it's a rough world out there. We haven't all evolved into Samantha Power, Bill Crystal. uh you know, whether you're neocon on one side or whether you're a left-wing multilateralist on the other. Now, into this fray steps a name that you all might remember, uh, Donald Trump, okay? Donald Trump comes out of nowhere and he says amazing things. I don't know, to this day, I don't know if Donald Trump really understands how much of a revolutionary when it comes no, to he policy. No, he, he doesn't. He really was for, for the brief time he was president. He, he's firing um, from the gut and he understands sort yeah. of like, just like we tell our entire population, our listenership out there, trust your gut. You know what's good. You know what's bad. And that's where Donald Trump spoke from. Uh, he absolutely did. And it's one of the reasons I was intrigued by his stands on, on foreign policy. I'll give you the great quote, which was uh, sort of indicative of how our foreign policy ran until the World War II and Cold War. This is the John Quincy Adams of the of the Adams family. Uh, I believe, let's see, one, two, three, four, he was a sixth president. Uh, wherever the standard of freedom and independence has and shall be unfurled, there will America's heart be, her benedictions and her prayers be. But she goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. She is the well-wisher to the freedom and independence of all. She is the champion and vindicator only of her own. Uh, to put it briefly, that's America first. There was a very powerful America first movement in the 1930s saying, if the Europeans want to slaughter each other, they've already started as of September 39. We don't want to be a part of it. We learned our lesson back in World War I when we were going to make the world safe for democracy, and it didn't work out any way we thought it would, and hundreds of thousands of, of young American boys gave their lives. The America first tradition lived on, even though we were demonized, called every name in the book, called Nazis for decades and decades and decades. Primarily Pat Buchanan, Sam Francis, Chronicles Magazine, the paleoconservative yeah, movement. All the neocons. The paleocons kept this alive, tiny, tiny community. But there are also some libertarians like me. We tend to use the word non-interventionist rather than uh, paleocon or American first. But either way, we agree. What Pat said in his amazing book, A Republic, Not an Empire, Order It, 
from a bookseller right now, ladies and gentlemen, a republic, not an empire. He traces the history of American foreign policy and all these blunders in the modern era and how smart we were in the early era when we uh, stayed out of these uh, things. Uh, Pat said, the choice isn't between hawk or dove. There's a third choice, an eagle. An eagle is a powerful bird that soars high in the sky. It monitors everything. It has amazing vision. It's strong. It can strike when it has to, but it doesn't get bogged down in the small stuff. It doesn't panic over every little thing it sees on the ground. So I've always seen us the proper policy as an eagle. So Trump comes into office with this America first message. To this day, Eddie, there's a lot of reasons why I think the the, the swamp, the cathedral, call it what you will, the American establishment, there are a lot of reasons why they just had a complete mental breakdown over Donald Trump. There are many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is he didn't play by their rules. He didn't have that grandiosity, triumphalism. Uh, it's our planet, everyone. You're just living in it. And Trump said things like, oh, our allies, they're all uh, in East Asia and in Europe. They're as rich as we are. Why the hell are we paying for their defense? Uh, that was to say uh, uh, more than a little gauche in Washington. They didn't know how to process him asking those questions. And very late in the campaign in 2020, oh, it was the final week that I was watching one of his rallies on c-span before i uh, had dumped oh my it must have been online because i dumped cable by then and he at a speech used the phrase military industrial complex of course the warning from the great warning at the the, the, the um, end of regime uh speech by uh president eisenhower at the end coming to the end of his presidency uh gave it what late uh 1960, early 1961, warning us about uh, the scientific technological elite, which is a ham is a terrible millstone around New Mexico because we think this is a source of economic growth. It's not. And the military industrial complex. Eddie, I've been looking for over a year to see if any president between Eisenhower and Trump ever used the phrase military industrial complex. I haven't found an example of it. That's how much Trump recognized the sickness of our welfare of our of our warfare state. Uh, and our in our foreign, you know, in our in, our, in terms of defending other countries, in terms of dictating to other countries, in terms of leveraging our financial assets, our foreign aid to get people to do we, what we want, and that's one of the reasons I endorsed Donald Trump because I think we needed more thinking like that uh, in, in the White House. So moving forward now. <laughs> The right conservatives, a lot of my good friends who supported the Iraq War and thought George W. Bush was wonderful. Um, you have to decide. You know, are you going to be more in the Trump category? Or are you going to go back to the to the Bill Bill Crystal category? Uh, maybe you won't have to decide if Donald Trump runs and wins the presidency again. But in four years after that, you will have to decide what model are you going to embrace. I think a, a model like the one Professor Mearsheimer described, where we mind our own damn business and we realize that other people have motivations and reasons for doing what they do beyond what someone at uh, the Brookings Institution at a seminar in Washington thinks. Uh, those are really important considerations. So, Eddie, I can't commend you enough for playing that lecture. Uh, it's going to be available, of course, to our uh, subscribers. And that's how international relations works in the real world, not in Washington's phony, baloney, plastic, fantastic, wishful thinking world. Uh, he's a very wise man. I'd also uh, recommend his book. I'll show it again. Uh, the Israel Lobby and U.S. Foreign Policy. He co-wrote it with uh, Stephen Walt. Uh, this, was a, this is a guy from another era who I think understands the reality of international relations at a time when we have these ideologues and uh, kind of dreamers, whether it's Samantha Power on one side or Bill Crystal on another. There's a third option, an option that looks a lot 
like what Donald Trump was trying to do. So that's uh, my lecture for the day. I can't do any better than the professor. Uh, Eddie, you uh, should be commended for um, playing, I'm, that, I'm, for playing I'm, that lecture. Wait, wait. wait. I'm going to stop here. Folks, uh, I study a lot. I read a lot. I'm not half as smart as the guy that just spoke for the last uh, 22 <laughs> minutes at nauseum. And I want to congratulate him on all the work that he's done prior to ever coming here. And uh, you want to see really br real brilliance, like the ability to talk about this stuff just off the cuff for the last 22 minutes straight. That's D-Dowd Muska. That's one of the reasons you need to subscribe directly to www.rockoftalk.chat. Like, it, it, it really is that good, folks. I mean, we have the talent. I recognized it right from the get-go. It's one of the reasons I connected. You know, there's sometimes you just admire someone who understands other things, and I put that stuff up there. I had no idea the guy has books on the shelves. Inside from that, all the history, and uh, it, it really is, like, you know, quite the uh, unbelievable um, asset here to the Albuquerque market. For those of you who are uh, tuning in here this afternoon, I blush, sir. I blush. I blush. No, no, no. You, you, you don't need to. It, it really is that good. And I don't understand any of this. I had to go like do a deep dive until like two in the morning last night because yep. I'm, I, I'm, I'm like mixed up. The Nephilim. I, I know what I know. I know what to trust. I, I know that there's something here. And all of a sudden, I stumble upon this. I, I, I listened to the first maybe 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, this guy's got it. He knows what he's talking about. He has no ego. He's focused entirely on what's happening in China and Russia. And then boom, there you go. Bob's your uncle. And there you get all the inf information intelligence that you can get only here, right here in the Kiva. AM 600 KVAQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. That's rockoftalk.com. A little Russians from staying back to wrap the show. Third hour. Uh, we're going to do a replay of one of the gubernatorial candidates right here in the Kiva. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe directly at rockoftalk.chat. I don't subscribe to this point of view It's such an ignorant thing to do If the Russians love their children too How can I save my little boy From Oppenheimer's deadly toy There is no monopoly of common sense On either side of the political fence we share the same biology, regardless of ideology. Believe me when I say to you, I hope the Russians love their children too. Such 
subscribe to this point of view. Believe me when I say to you, I hope the Russians love their children too. Raw Greens carry CBD for pets. Raw Greens also carry CBD for people like you and me. Come into Raw Greens today. We're Raw Greens, your local joint on San Mateo, north of Manal, or visit us online at cbd.theplaceilike.com. Do you believe the U.S. can run trillion-dollar deficits forever without consequence? Do you believe our politicians have any incentive to rein in spending? Do you believe the stock and bond markets are on solid ground? If you don't, and if you believe something's wrong, but you also believe there will be an opportunity as things change, then call Greg Zanetti at Zanetti Financial. He's been helping people with their investments since 1986. He sees the investment world through a clear lens. He gets it. No annuities, no insurance, no investor profiles. The goal is to make you money. Call Greg today at 250-3754 or visit him at ZanettiFinancial.com. When it comes to vehicle maintenance and repair, you want a place where you can be sure you're going to get reliable, honest, and quality service. A place where a credentialed automotive expert will work on your vehicle and explain exactly what needs to be done and at a fair and honest price. And so important, where you won't be charged for parts and unnecessary service you may not even need. Now, where's this place? JJ's Premier Tire and Service, a one-stop shop for all your auto needs. Alignments, oil changes, brakes, computerized diagnostics, tune-ups, suspension, air conditioning, and more. And JJ's the tire dealer for all major brands, including Michelin, Firestone, and Goodyear. Hi, I'm JJ, and we've built our reputation on honest, fair-priced auto repair. We promise you excellent auto service, and we treat our customers the way we want to be treated. Trust JJ's Premier Tire and Service on San Antonio, just west of Wyoming. Call 821-5771. Did someone say breakfast skillet? Quick, go to Sunnyside Up, the place to be for their Texas steak skillet, Cambridge, and Mexican skillets. Sunnyside Up, Manala, Louisiana. And show your mobile Sunnyside Up offer, sunny.theplaceilike.com. The market is flooded with health supplements that claim benefits in memory, but virtually none offer credible evidence with their products working until now. Memory Revitalizer 800-606-0192. This potent natural formula was invented by a neuroscientist and physician. Memory Revitalizer slows aging 
improves memory, increases energy, gives robust stamina. It has been used in an Alzheimer's clinic for 18 years. It is safe. It does not interact with other prescription drugs. Two large blinded studies confirm the benefits in memory capacity. Customers say it's wonderful. It works. It's essential. Buy it from Best Buy Pharmacy, Manal Pharmacy, and other independent pharmacies. Or purchase it from Moses Country Store and other independent health stores. Or go to MemoryRevitalizer.com. MemoryRevitalizer.com or 800-606-0192. MemoryRevitalizer.com or 800-606-0192. Bad credit? Need it fixed? At Credit Rescue, Inc., our services have been used by mortgage companies, banks, and auto dealerships to help people who have been turned down for credit. Don't spend the next 7 to 10 years as a victim of high interest. Remember, knowledge is power, and you now have a way to get back your credit worthiness. Bad credit can haunt people for years. Let's rescue your credit at Credit Rescue, Inc. Call me, Mike Ramos, to set up an appointment today at 505-899-1448. That's 899-1448. Music is the great communicator on makeusgodlyagain.com. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Sometimes we just need a pick-me-up. Makeusgodlyagain.com. Within moments of your vehicle being taken out of your possession due to theft, other crimes are committed. Unfortunately, vehicle theft is all too common, but it can be prevented with the Revelco Vehicle Anti-Theft Device. RevelcoNM.com or give us a call at 505-550-4994. Do what you love. Deliver your best. You do life, and we'll make sure you get the best back. That's how we roll. We do taxes. Liberty Tax. You do life, we do taxes. Want the honesty, affordability, and reliability of a household plumber without the crack? Call Rogers Plumbing and Heating, family-owned and operated since 1973, for all your plumbing needs. Reaching Albuquerque, Baylor, Moriarty, Santa Fe, New Laguna, Pueblo, and anywhere in between. Rogers Plumbing and Heating is not only fast and reliable service, being family-owned and operated since 1973 means they always put their customers first and hold each of their employees to the highest moral, professional, and ethical standards. So when you need a fix without the crack, call Rogers Plumbing and Heating at 243-9703. Don't get caught unprepared to defend yourself. I'm Keith Cope with VigilantFirearms.com. We provide calm, safe, and effective training for concealed carry or any other gun training classes. VigilantFirearms.com, 312-0065. 312-0065. This is The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA Albuquerque.
visited upon we non-interventionists, we America firsters, you know, they always call us peaceniks. So we're, we're, we're peaceniks at the same time we're Nazis. I can't really figure figure that one out. But just simply wanting an America first policy, recognizing the limits of American power, they will come at you uh, and call you a, a Putin sympathizer. Eddie, I was watching, uh, I was driving across the country one day many years ago, and I, I stopped at a hotel, a mo cheap motel to sleep for the night. And I started watching a PBS documentary about Putin. And I woke up, I fell asleep and woke up 10 minutes later in the middle of the documentary. And I think it might've been the Georgian war in 2008, or it might've been the trouble, the never ending issues with the Chechnyans and going on there. Russia's, you know, they got 11 time zones in Russia. They, they're dealing with a lot over there. Uh, you know, they, they've got a lot of their own problems that haven't been created by, by Putin, but it, it was a boy screaming as in front of his, uh, now turn the radio down if you got kid, little ones in the, in the, in the car, but it was, and I, I spoke as if from sort of a daze I'd been driving all day and, and I, I, I wanted to go back and watch this documentary again online, but I just can't do it. I literally just can't do it. Little boy, there's a dead body in front of him, and he's screaming over and over again, this is my grandfather, this is my grandfather, this is my grandfather. And it's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. It shake. I think about it almost every wow. day. I can't imagine if uh, my nephew just lost his grandfather, not my father, but on my, my sister's husband's side, uh, what happens to a little boy who watches his grandfather get blown up in front of him? Putin is not a good guy. Problem is, and I think if you're old enough, you know, making decisions based on emotion, boy, those are bad calls 99% of the time. Uh, we saw those people die on 9-11, and we thought we were going to remake the Middle East by invading Iraq. How the hell did that go, ladies and gentlemen? So, um, yeah, you watch this stuff, and I'm trying to wean myself off this. I'm not watching Sky News as much. Uh, I know there's nothing I can do about it, and I'm trying to not get emotional about it. The sad truth of mankind's history on this planet is man's abuse of other men. And uh, it, I'm sorry, but uh, all the woke ideology in the world, all the air conditioning uh, in the world, uh, all the preschool uh, preschool lessons set up and billions of dollars flowing to early childhood education is not making us better people. We are, whether you're a Christian and you think it's the you know, Eve's biting of the apple, uh, or whether you <laughs> whether you think it's more of a straight biological situation, uh, we are prone to error and greed and violence and domination. And um, it, that's what we're seeing in Ukraine. It's very, very unfortunate. But I will punch you in the nose if you call me a Putin sympathizer. I do not worship that man or side with that man at all. I simply recognize the limits of what an, another country 5,000 miles away can do. Uh, and the idea of Americans going and, and possibly making things worse, worse and getting killed and wounded over there. Uh, I just don't see it, folks. I don't support it. And that does not make me a Putin lover. And the justification for him defending the eastern party of Ukraine, which is all Russian speaking, is being True. completely divided. I mean, is, is totally justified at this Culturally point. Culturally affiliated, yes. Yeah, they should d divide it amongst the river and just sort of leave it, leave, leave it there. I don't know what else we can possibly do, but we need to like uh, pull out of NATO. Yes. We are, what, $800 billion involved, nearly a trillion dollars a year involved in NATO. Everybody else is pulling out Germany, <clears throat> I don't know, 24, 25 other countries that are involved in NATO. They're not even interested at this point. Most Americans are looking at this like, oh, why can't we like uh, push back against Putin? Because we don't need to. It's unnecessary. There were very few voices back in the 90s who were saying, why are we abandoning I mean, why are we extending a military alliance that we should be abandoning, given the fact that the conflict 
we built the alliance to fight is, right. is over. <laughs> the Cold War ended. And I remember Dick Cheney, who's a horrible human being. He's a neocon. Uh, another another false charge. Anybody who pr- criticizes neocons, it doesn't make you anti-Semitic. Uh, the most powerful neocons of all time were George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. They were not Jewish folks, okay? George W. Bush was born in New Haven. He's a Connecticut Episcopalian pretending to be a Texan. Um, but he said the peace dividend is peace. It was a it was a condescending comment, he said, in the late in the early 1990s, basically say, well, we're not going to draw down our forces. We're going to keep things as strong as we can because there's a lot of threats in the world. Um, it was never it, it had become something else. The Cold War It had been about, you know, aggressive, you know, unipolar uh, American uh, triumphalism. And, and so he very condescendingly said, oh, the, the peace dividend from the Cold War is peace. It's not cutting back any of our commitments abroad. And we, and we didn't cut back any of our commitments abroad. Uh, Pat Buchanan. Uh, I know he has his uh, his uh, supporters and his enemies, but Pat Buchanan in the 90s said we should not be expanding NATO. Boy, uh, that recommendation is looking awfully uh, smart right now. Uh, George Kennan, of course, the architect, the intellectual architect of the containment policy of cold uh, of the Cold War, he wrote the famous uh, X memo right uh, a few years after World War II ended. You know, Russia is an aggressive, and the Soviet Union is going to be expansionist, and we need to put put a policy in place to contain them. Uh, in the 90s, he said the Cold War is over. Why are we expanding NATO? One of the greatest foreign policy minds of of, of his generation. Pat wasn't listened to, George Kennan wasn't listened to, and it's a big reason why we're dealing with what we're dealing right now. He is D. Dowd Muska. You can subscribe directly to him at www.rockoftalk.chat. That's rockoftalk.chat. Um, wow. I got to tell you, you know a lot about this subject, Dowd. And uh, <laughs> at this point, I had to get myself educated. I think we provided a good first hour education and we know what happened in 2014 we know what happened on 2 which is the tuesday that we all um uh, were waiting for all of this maybe to happen but um the, the, it, going forward and looking at this and uh realizing that look the market's up people are realizing that hey this isn't as bad as that uh the russia uh or russo ukrainian war that uh, started in I don't know, February of 2014 has continued all the way through until now. And all uh, the, the apex or the, you know, the, the sort of centerpiece of that has to do with NATO directly. And we need to stop our, our eastward expansion of NATO at this point. I think at this point, we need to understand that NATO doesn't exist without the United States. Um, it is a dinosaur that has lived itself. And uh, the United States in and of itself is a you know, hegemonic power insofar as we don't extend ourselves beyond the boundaries of what we think we need to go ahead and achieve, which is, you know, we have consumption, investment, and production, you know, you know, superiority over every country. It doesn't matter if it's China, Brazil, you know, Russia, uh, India, it doesn't matter. We are number one in every category. We are losing that every single time we'd like to flex our muscle and talk about democracy and uh, threats to democracy anywhere is a, th- uh, a threat to democracy anywhere. And we have to just stop this madness uh, at this point. In my opinion, just to put this simply and just put a fine point on everything, this is nothing more than a midterm stroke by Biden, Kamala Harris, and the Democrats to create a distraction so that they can go ahead and say, this is the reason for inflation. 
This is the reason for the, you know, economic and political demise of America. And we need to do something to save it. And this is what we're going to do. They have played this out, you know, for six years hence. And in my opinion, um, I think they've extended themselves far beyond what we think is rational uh, at this point. And I think as much as I would love to say that Trump is the guy that's going to come in on the magic carpet, it's going to be another Republican, DeSantis or somebody else is going to say, you know what? We need to react differently than what's happening on a global stage. And I'll, I'll give you the final thoughts uh, before we wrap the show. Well, I mean, that's the ugly reality, as I said earlier, of, of uh, <laughs> yes, you have ideologues like Bill Crystal who don't care about human life and just want to be power mad ideologues. But the practical politics of this, when you're talking to a professional politician like Joe Biden or, you know, people who like to get constantly reelected every two years or six years in the Senate or the House is uh, they're going to seize on events abroad uh, and try to shoehorn them into, you know, maneuver around for advantage on how they can deflect blame for something they're responsible for or take credit for something they're not responsible for. Uh, and I, you know, I, I don't I don't want to be as cynical as that, but I've just watched these people for too long, Eddie. Uh, pin it all on Putin. Uh, I can see that strategy developing because God knows they've got nothing else to run on right now. It's, it's a disaster and their poll numbers, every new poll that comes out, it looks worse for them. It does. And we'll see if they go ahead and make it to October, November. In the meantime, he doubt and I will keep it here every day from four to seven, right here in the Kiva AM 1600 ABQ.fm rock of That's rock of Thanks everybody for tuning in. Third hour is up next. Gubernatorial candidate Greg Zanetti will be there as uh, he is out in Rio New Mexico. So we're going to play that uh, interview that we had from just a couple of weeks ago uh, with Greg Zanetti. We have a number of gubernatorial candidates, Rebecca Dow, Mark Ronchetti, Luis Sanchez running for CD1. A lot of good people that are trying to change New Mexico. We'll see what happens looking forward. 550 back after the top of the hour news right here in the keyboard.